Hello, and welcome to Resolutions, a podcast produced by the ABA section of Dispute Resolution. I'm one of your hosts, Adam Martin. The section's spring conference is fast approaching April 22nd to the 25th in New Orleans. And in this episode, you're going to hear from one of our fascinating presenters. But before we get to our conversation, I want to let you know that support for the conference comes from several generous sponsors, including Miles Mediation and Arbitration, the Center for Negotiation and Dispute Resolution at UC Hastings, and the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. And now, on to our guest. Today, I'm speaking with John Thompson, a community activist and a motivational speaker. He lives and works in the Twin Cities, Minnesota, and works with Fight for Justice Enterprises, LLC. John also happens to be the Thursday morning plenary speaker at the upcoming ABA Dispute Resolution Section Spring Conference. Good morning, John, and thank you for being on the podcast. Good morning. How are you? So we're going to talk more uh, in a little bit about your plenary presentation um, specifically, which is coming up this April. Um, But first, I'd like to talk a little bit more about your background. Um, So how did you get your start as a community activist and what really drove you to um, take the positions that um, that you now advocate? I was actually a machinist for St. Paul Public Schools. I worked at all 82 schools throughout the district and I repaired a lot of their nutrition service equipment throughout the district. I became close friends with Philando Castile who actually worked with St. Paul Public Schools also. I spoke to Philando on July 5th, 2016, and we talked about the murder, the police shooting of Alton Sterling, who was murdered in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I spoke to Philando in detail about Alton Sterling. We both just kind of were so numb to police-involved shootings. We both thought the same thing. Nothing had happened to that officer. That was a conversation we had. The very next day, which was July 6th of 2016, my friend was killed by a St. Anthony police officer, pretty much in the same fashion as Alton Sterling, the very next day. Uh, a lot of the news coverage around here was focusing on uh, uh, Philando and his, and as a matter of fact, in the, in the article, I remember one article reading that he had marijuana in the car, he was putting the kid's life at danger. And it was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of, uh, like, it was a lot of uh, negative uh, publicity like Philando became the, the, he was the victim, but he was treated as if he was a, a real suspect. And so I decided to come out and speak on behalf of my friend, because the friend I know loved to play chess. Friend I know loved the kids. I watched him go in his pocket and, and pay kids lunch debt out of his pocket, even though that was against company policy. I know that the last words I heard my friend say was that I love everybody. And the very next day he was murdered. And so I wanted to make sure that I brought that piece to all of the uh, different protests, to the, the different uh, occupations that they had throughout. And so I became very vocal when it, became, when it came to uh, police-involved shootings. Uh, organized a lot of rallies, a lot of marches. People actually marched on the expressway, on the highway. And I could never get on the highway because my job said that they would terminate me because uh, I worked for the city but I understood why they were on the highway. That was the beginning of my activism and starting to be an activist. Uh, a lot of times people would call me the angry, like I was, I was labeled the angry black man because we get these 
these couple of minute sound bites of me yelling at legislators and yelling at different people who I thought could make a difference. And every time I got that, you're the angry guy, I would say, well, why aren't you as angry as I am? Because there was a little girl in the backseat. And this is something that we should be angry about. I mean, he did absolutely nothing wrong except for be black driving in his car. And so you asked, how did I start my act? This is exactly how I started because before then I was fine with just taking a loose a $2 million piece of machinery just to find one gear that was missing teeth <laughs> and putting it all back together. You know, so that's how I got started. So it kind of went from, from activist to activated. <laughs> well, obviously that's a deeply tragic event, but it's, it's really good that you're trying to use that to affect some real change in the world. And it, it struck me that you, you said you used to take apart a giant machine looking for the one, um, you know, the one cog that's missing a tooth. And I think that's kind of a good analogy for what you do now is you're looking at this huge system and you're trying to start on kind of the ground level and make changes that are going to affect the entire uh the entire system as a whole um, and, and that's just a really impressive um, thing to do and start from that ground level um, but you also talked we talked a little bit before we started the recording about um something you're doing it's a little more top down uh, you're running for state office i believe Yes, I'm ready to be the next state representative here in the state of Minnesota. Um, to be honest, like when I, when I just spoke to you about earlier, there was a huge, a huge amount of, of rallies surrounding the murder of Philando Castillo. There was a huge amount of organizing. There was a huge amount of marching, signs in the air. I mean, I think we've organized almost 2,000 people to march in the street, right? Um, so I've done that for the past, what, four years? I've organized rallies around the Twin Cities. Uh, for me to run for an office like this is the new protest. It's the new movement. It's, to, to, it's me being the change I want to see as opposed to complaining about it. And that's how, I think that's how politics in America started out, is people protesting uh, against something they thought was, was wrong. So the the podcast and the dispute resolution section conference are specifically geared towards dispute resolution. Could you tell me a little bit about how you've been involved with dispute resolution generally and how that kind of ties in with your role as a community activist and a political candidate? First of all, I'm the co-president of Community Mediators in Minnesota. So I'm the co-president and how I got this role, you know, after Philando was murdered, there was a lot of community conversations that were put on by the Center of Dispute Resolution here, uh, in particular, uh, the, the uh, Mitchell Hamlin School of Law. Sharon Press is the director of the dispute resolution section of uh, uh, and conflict resolution at, over at Mitchell Hamlin. And so I'll tell you what happened, if you got a minute, a quick story. There was a lot of community conversations. Falcon Heights had hired these people to do uh, a task, be a task force, and to implement policies as to what it was that the city wanted to see in their policing. And so I would always say, I'm not coming to that mess. It's just another check in the box. I'm not coming. I'm not coming. Well, Philando's mom told me, uh, Valerie Castillo said, John, you need to come to this, this last hearing. I mean, this last meeting. Uh, I get there. I get to the meeting. 
and I am like the person that everybody's centering their questions around. John, what is it that you want to see in police? And I said, I want you to fire the Falcon Heights police. I want you to fire the St. Anthony police and start over. I think the city of Falcon Heights needs a new face when it comes to policing. And before you know it, everybody in the community conversations wanted them to get rid of the St. Anthony police. They were contracting with Falcon Heights. And uh, we get to the meeting. After the meeting, the city of Falcon Heights did exactly what the community asked them to do. They sent out RFPs. And so now I'm buying in. Uh, I get a chance to sit in some of these uh, circles, is what we call them, that circle process. I get a chance to sit in some of these circles, and afterwards, I get a call from the mayor of Falcon Heights, and he wants to go out to, to dinner. Now, keep in mind, the day before this one, we organized a rally right in front of the mayor of Falcon Heights' home on his lawn, and I had, like, red dye on my hand, and I'm saying, my friend's blood is on your hands. So now I'm tasked with going to dinner and, 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 and facing the man who I've just organized a rally in front of his house. And I talked to Peter Lindstrom and he said, John, as the mayor, I became the mayor because I wanted to make a difference. He said, I have no idea what to do in a situation like this because no one that I've ever, ever, ever been a part of their lives have ever been murdered. I don't know anybody who's been murdered I just wanted to be the mayor to make a difference in my community and I have no idea what the hell to do in a situation like this. And so I'm looking at this man and he has tears in his eyes. I'm looking at this man and I'm noticing that he's a, he's a, a, a guy who is just like everybody else. He likes Rice Krispies like myself. He has a <laughs> cell phone bill. He has kids. He has a dog. He has grass he has to cut every day. I'm looking at him as a human being instead of uh, a part of a system that helped create the conditions that kill my friend. I'm looking at him like this because I, I would, if I had, I never went to one of the community listening sessions to one of the circles processes to one of the, the uh, events that the uh, Center for Dispute Resolution put together. Had I not went, I don't, you won't get this John Thompson you get right now. Just, just so that you don't get this John Thompson. You get a John Thompson who's an angry activist angry at the system, showing up and yelling at every opportunity I can at the people who I think are causing some of the disparities that we see. Uh, for me to be a part of, like, like, bro, like I never imagined I'd be the co-president of Community Mediators of Minnesota, but it just makes sense because we spend our lifetime attacking people and not the problem. You know, people mess up. But if we continue to attack people and not attack the problem, then we still have the same problem. It's kind of like, you know, the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Right. <laughs> so, so I just decided that I'm not going to let this stop me from being a, a advocate for change, right? And although protesting is needed, although uh, 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 marching and, and, and bringing awareness to the injustices is needed. We also need somebody with a level head who understands how the process works to get in some of these rooms and bring that same passion that you would bring to a protest, bring that same passion to some of these committee hearings and some of these different, you know, so I had to kind of like tone it down and realize that we get nowhere fighting each other. We do that too much.
we need to sit down at the table with each other and come up with tangible solutions. And hey, we may not get them all, but let's grab the low-hanging fruit and work on them together. And this, listen, bro, I'm excited because it's more effective than the work I was doing beforehand. But although if you Google John Thompson and see some of the work that I've done as far as the activism work, that work was needed. And I can give you an example of what I'm saying. Maybe this is like a, a testimony of what I'm saying. There was a bill presented here by Representative Nick Zerwas, and we called it the anti-protest bill. You should look that up on social, not on social media, like uh, look that up, Google the anti-protest bill here in the state of Minnesota, and you'll see an angry John Thompson, and I'm yelling at Representative Nick Zerwas because he's not from the Twin Cities, he's from a rural area here in Minnesota, and I'm telling Nick, I said, Nick, you know the Klan had grandkids. The Klan here in the state of Minnesota had grandkids, and the, 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 the policy that you're pushing kind of makes me think that you're one of them grandkids, is what I said to him. And, and you know, the Klan hasn't left the state of Minnesota. They just got a little bit more quieter, but they wear the state of Minnesota pendants. And some of them wear uh, St. Paul police badges. Some of them wear uh, some of my mayors, some of my doctors. So, so that ideology never left. And I'm yelling at Nick, right? Well, the committee hearing gets shut down. Nevertheless, I wanted this is the uh, mission accomplished, <laughs> right? I wanted this committee hearing to get left, let, shut down. But then fast forward from 2016 to just last year, I proposed a bill at the state capitol. It was the African-American Youth Access Bill, AYA, A-A-Y-A. And I get a lot of support from the Democrats here. And I don't know the process. And so this is me doing homework. I get a lot of support from the Democrats in the House, and now I need Republican support. And I'm standing outside of Nick Zerwalt's office last year and show you how God works. I'm like, God, what are you asking me to do? He said, go in there and talk to Nick and ask him to support your bill. It makes sense. I walk in Nick Zerwalt's office, and I got my bill here. Nick, this is the African-American Youth Access Bill. This bill is aimed towards getting some of our youth outside of their comfort zone. Let's take them outside of the state of Minnesota and take them to see stuff that they've never experienced. I said, Nick, I played the tuba for Christ's sakes. I played the tuba before because I was a knucklehead like some of these kids. And one of my mom's friends who happens to be an older white man started taking me to the symphony orchestra and making me sit there and listen to this boring music. But I was always interested in this huge horn that the guys, and so before you know it, I have to take music in high school, and now I'm this 6'3 nerd on the, on the bus with a tuba. <laughs> have you ever heard somebody who doesn't know how to play the tuba? Play the tuba, it's a horrible sound. And now I don't want to play the tuba no more, but my mom's like, you're playing the tuba because I rented that doggone instrument, and you're going to finish this doggone semester out. Uh, the same tuba that I'm talking about brings me to Duluth, Minnesota for college. The same tuba that, you know, has someone, someone invested in me, Nick, someone invested in me. That same tuba that I thought was boring was not in the inner city. They took me outside in the community to something that I've never experienced. And here I am now as an adult remembering that this is how I got to college off of this doggone instrument that I hate. So the idea of my bill was to do exactly that. And I, I, I'm proposing this to Nick, and all Nick says to me is, John, you know, in 2016, you told me that the Klan had grandkids, and I looked like one of them. 
John, he said he was, and you were very adamant. You were very animated at my, my committee hearing. You shut the hearing down. And then here you are two years later asking me to help you sponsor a bill and to help you with funding. And he says, John, I would never, ever tell you this, but I have to tell you that after that session, me and my wife went back to Elk River, Minnesota. And he says, and we talk about the policy that we push here, the policy that I, 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 I try to introduce to legislation, not recognizing how it affects people in urban areas of, of, of Minnesota, because we never have protests in Elk River, John. He said, but I would have never had that conversation with my wife had you not shown up to my committee hearing, animated and, and, and yelling. And, and I understand what he said. At first, I thought it was you yelling at me, but you were yelling at a system that I helped. And so he said, I want to apologize. And he authors my bill, right? So you can catch a lot more bees with honey. <laughs> but he authors my bill. Fast forward to now, me and Nick Zerwals will go out. I can call him tomorrow and say, Nick, let's go out to lunch, right? So there's power in, in, in the, and I swear to you, brother, if I hadn't have, if I had not have participated in the dispute resolution section of, 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 or portion of, of this Falcon Heights task force, have, had I not connected with people like Sharon Press from Mitchell Hamlin and the Community Mediators and Resources of Minnesota, had I not been a part of that, this conversation would not have been had with Nick Zerwals. I wouldn't understand, and I'd still be labeled the angry black guy. You know, so I know for a fact that I am uh, a, a walking testimony uh, of how dispute resolution works. You know, we can, we can solve a lot of the world's problems over a cup of coffee. <laughs> I mean, it might take three or four cups for some problems, but I, I generally agree. No, just figuratively speaking. I know, I know, I know. We can, we can uh, solve, but if you don't talk, I'll give you an example. So, so you show up to work and there's somebody at your job who just pisses you off every day, right? For some of the some of the weirdest stuff. And then one day you say to that person, let me talk to you. You know, I'm so sick of you. You did this, you did that, you did this. And the person says, I am so sorry. I had no idea I was coming off like that. I apologize sincerely from the bottom of my heart. Well, now you kind of feel different, right? Because you've approached this person and you've given them what was on your mind and now they've apologized and you realize this person didn't even know that they were doing that in the first place, right? So that's what I mean by the power of sitting down and talking to people. This is how we've solved a lot of our problems. I don't get this had I not been a part of Community Mediators Minnesota. I don't get this had I not experienced mediation. I don't, you don't, you don't get this, John Thompson, because I didn't know this. I always, I always thought that I'd show up, yell, make a difference because people heard me yelling and they'd be afraid. <laughs> well, I, I'm certainly glad to talk to this John Thompson. Sure. Um, but so one thing you said, um, and I think this ties through your entire um, background, is that it, it's kind of a fundamental premise of mediation that you should be able to see the person on the other side of the table from you as a person. I think too often when disputes come up, you see the other person as, you know, a bad guy but just the bad guy generically. And mediation and a lot of other dispute resolution forms give you the opportunity to sit down and understand that other side as a real person. And when you do that, it's a lot easier to come to a resolution that 
you know, leaves everyone in a better place. And I, I think that's, that's kind of tied through a lot of what you said is seeing each other as real people and working problems out as individual people. You know, so all over the world, man, we had the same problem is we, we attack the people that are tied to the problem, right? We attack the people. Now think about this. People mess up all the time, right? So say for instance, this computer goes down. Do I punch the computer? <laughs> right? Because now I don't have a computer. Now I got two problems. <laughs> you know, things mess up. But if you address the problem, if you address the problem, that's how we get a lot of our problems solved. Attacking people is counterproductive. You know, we've done that for years. Like I'm, I'm a part of this, uh, this uh, catalyst group right now here in Ramsey County called Transforming Systems Together, right? And I say that because in the meeting today, we were talking about, uh, and there was a roadblock. We were talking about different races, right? And so they said, well, we want to talk about people of color. And I said, well, then that lumps me into a cup. What do you mean? Well, I'm not a person of color. What is a person of color? Or I tell you what, better yet, what's the opposite? Because I want to call the opposite people exactly that. They're transparent. So, so are they transparent people, right? So I say that to say that I've been a black man for 40 years. And I know nothing about people of color. If you talk about people of color, people of color could straighten their hair and benefit from white privilege. So what is a person of color? And I said this in a meeting, and it made sense to everybody in the room, right? Had I not said this in a meeting, and I'm stuck here sitting here with this feeling, right? Like, I'm not a person. And, and it sits on the inside of me. If I'm able to bring that out and be safe bringing that out, I think people will understand. We'll understand each other a little bit more. I know for a fact, bro, like, and I'll, I'll say this probably 10 to 15 or 20 times. I know for a fact that you know John Thompson maybe six years ago. Like, this was not the John Thompson six years ago. And so now people look at me and they're shocked when I'm in a meeting, like, and they're yelling and, they're, and, they, and they, they want me to be a part of the protest. And I'm saying, I think we should focus more on the problem and stop attacking people because what will happen is the people who can help us fix the problem will walk out of the room. And now we have still the same thing, a problem. For the longest time, and, in this, and I say this without blinking my eye, for the longest time here in, in the state of Minnesota, we have a room full of white men and women making decisions for my, my community and how the community should be, how we can fix the community, how public safety looks in my community. A lot of the times, people who are affected by the problem that they're trying to fix are not at the decision-making table. Therefore, we get things like, I think the last bad thing they had was the gang task force here in, in, in St. Paul, who, who actually wound up being the biggest gang in the city they were raiding people's houses and keeping like what they found and, and giving it to their loved ones and things. And it was a big, big, uh, it was a big controversy here with the gang task force. And I said that in the Ramsey County meeting today, I said, because the people who are affected by the problem that you're trying to fix are never at the table 
when it comes to solving the problem. John, you make perfectly good sense. So now transforming systems together is all community trying to figure out how to, to implement change here in Ramsey County. Like, yo, it's kind of like surreal for me that even you calling me and asking me to, to be a part of this podcast, like I'm still having, I'm still having uh, a hard time believing that I am here. I'm having a hard time believing that I am here right now because this wasn't me, man, but in our actuality, it works. It's effective. Uh, you have two people sitting across the table with, with, with animosity towards each other and you walk in the room and you find out that the problem really ain't that big. It's really not a big problem. It's just that you had this problem you won't fix and you had this problem and there's egos involved. And, you know, I can go on and on, bro, but this is just, like, makes sense work to do. No, and your, your background and your, um, your advocacy is really impressive. And I'm, I'm sure I would love to sit here and listen to all your stories, like, all day long. It's, I, I really am just fascinated by everything you have to say. Um, but if it's okay, I'd like to talk a little bit more about um, your upcoming plenary speech at the uh, dispute resolution section spring conference. Uh, and I believe your your plenary is Thursday, April 23rd um, at 9.30. Um, and I, I think the title is A New Approach to Law Enforcement Training in Dispute Resolution and Diversity, The Blueprint. So, John, could you tell me a little bit about and don't give away everything, obviously, but a little bit more about uh, the topic of your plenary and um, what kind of dispute resolution training you're talking about? You know, when it comes to policing, um, there's certain things that the community, in certain ways, you know, the history of policing is just bad, right? But if you think about what we discussed earlier, that up under the uniform is somebody who eats Fruit Loops. <laughs> Up under that uniform is somebody who likes KFC. They have a Sprint T-Mobile cell phone bill. Uh, you have to peel that uniform off in order to, to understand uh, what it is that we're dealing with, right? So, you know, I, in Falcon Heights, for instance, the Ramsey County Sheriff is policing Falcon Heights, and I do a lot of work with the Ramsey County Sheriff. And you know, normally when, when, when Philando was first murdered, there was uh, a, always a need for me to hop out of my car and record police officers here, right? And then I, I, I jump out of the car because there's like four cops and they're pulling these young kids over. And the officers, only one officer walks over to the car and he says, good afternoon, sir. My name is Officer Williams. He says, the reason I pulled you over is because you failed to turn on your left turn signal when you made the turn, right? And then he waves the other cars off and the car started pulling off. And I sat and recorded this whole interaction. And then I stopped the officer because he didn't write the kid a ticket. He just said, well, be careful. And, you know, he, you know, and I stopped him and I said, you should train police officers. He said, what did I do? I said, you humanized the uniform that you have on. What did I do? I said, when you walked over to the car, you said, good afternoon. My name is Officer Williams. You guys know why I pulled you over. And you explained. Instead of, 
let me get your license and registration. You know why you have any idea why I pulled you over? It's, I said, when you introduced yourself as Officer Williams, the, the kids in the car, their demeanor went all the way down. Because first of all, you looked like them. Second of all, you didn't come off as this arrogant, I'm the man in charge type of, and that is what is needed in policing, right? So I, I think for me to share that story has become very effective here in the state of Minnesota because now you see a lot of officers here in Minnesota when they pull you, <laughs> when they pull over kids, they're like, or they pull over people, they're like, hello, my name is Officer So-and-so, and, and they humanize. You know, policing is getting a little better here in St. Paul because of the work that we're doing, right? That's a, that's a, uh, that's a testament, a test, a, a test. I, I test that to uh, the Kettering Foundation in Ohio. I, I was there and, you know, we were trying to figure out how to build healthy, healthy communities. And there was a guy who stood up and he said his, his, his son had just passed, the bar, uh, passed and he was going to be a police officer. But then he started crying. He said, but my son just got killed last year on duty. And I can't share this story anywhere, but in this space right here. And I said, no, 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 no. You should share that story everywhere because people that look at you when you're on the job think you're a damn robot. You should be able to cry like a normal human being. You should be able to share. You know the rate of, 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 of police suicide? It's a very hard job, and it's become even harder. Everybody wants to kill you. <laughs> when you put this uniform on pretty much, you know, so to look at that from that angle and then give the police, give the police the perspective from a, a, a normal citizens, someone who you have to interact with every day. You know, we're not working with computers. We're working with people here. And so to, to put a, a, a human being inside of those bodies that interact with each other is the approach that I try to bring to, to training. I, hey, I, listen, I lost my best friend, man. You know that? Like, I lost my best friend to, to, to a scared police officer, right? And I just say that. I mean, I'm just saying that to you. But that's exactly what it was, right? I don't want to lose another friend, man. I don't want to lose another loved one. So I think it's very important, man. And not just my friends. I don't want to lose nobody to the hands of police. So I think it's important that we go back to talking to each other and humanizing not only the uniform, but also the person who you are actually interacting with as an officer. Simple, right? Uh, if it was simple, I think everyone would do it. But I, yeah. I know that there's a lot that people can do to improve and work on their relationships with, uh, if you're an officer, with um, people that you're talking with and how to de-escalate um, disputes that come up. Um, and, and do you have any specific um, training or issues that you think uh, police should take on if they're trying to work on their dispute resolution techniques? Every police officer should take on uh, uh, I'm sorry, de-escalation training, right? right. I, th I definitely think that should be mandatory. Hey, listen, I think that all police officers should work out. That way you're not so angry. And I'm saying that to you. I'm saying that to you because that way you're not so angry when you have to chase somebody because that's part of the job. And then you get up on them and you're ready to beat the crap out of them. I think that all officers should work out. 
that's not being funny. I know we can laugh, but that is the truth, right? That's a good point. The other piece is, man, to 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 take on. Do you know how we do? Uh, do you know how we do uh, the drunk drivers? They have to go and they have to look at these videos of the the the, the monstrosity they cause families, and they go and they look at these impact videos and hear these impact statements. I think officers should get a taste of that also, from especially new recruits. Like before you pull this trigger, at make absolutely sure that this is something you need to do because this is the effect and let the mothers talk to them and let them feel you know somebody that looks like their mother make them feel that because we have a lot of questionable police involved shootings here i know you can't train people to be nice <laughs> like you either got it or you don't right <laughs> you can't train people to not be racist you're either racist or you're not but you can teach people how to love one another I promise you, you can. You can definitely teach people how to love one another. All you got to do is say, listen, I want you to treat me just like you treat your three-year-old son or your two-year-old daughter. That kind of hits the heart, right? Yeah. Well, John, it's been really fantastic to talk with you. Um, it's, you've created an inspiring story and a lot of, uh, of hope for directions to move forward in. And I know that's always a difficult thing to, to bring hope out of a tragic event, but you've really gone so far to uh, teach people and to make a real difference in the world. So I think everyone can appreciate the work that you've, you've done to improving um, relationship, not only between the public and law enforcement, but between um, public bodies and the people that they serve. Yeah, so everyone can appreciate the hard work that you've done. And thank you for taking the time to talk with me about it today. Hey, I, I had a quick question. Sure. Do you think that it is the, the, the public, the, the community's job to fix the relationship <clears throat> and to help repair the relationship with police officers, with police all across the United States? I mean, do you think that that's the, the community's job? So in, in mediation, dispute resolution, generally, you always have two people on often opposing sides. Mm -hmm. And I think the point of dispute resolution is that you come, to, you come to find a way to work together to find something that's mutually acceptable. And that means that a lot of times no one will get their best result, um, but coming together and finding a solution that works for, that works for both sides it comes away with something that both people can live with. So I think it's about a conversation between, in any case, two groups or two individuals um, working together to find the right solution for them. So I think it's, I think it's incumbent upon both sides. So I, I'll leave you with this. This is my motto. We do better when we do better. I hope that makes sense to you. It makes perfectly good sense to me. There's no, there's no I in team, there's no I in we, right? So we do better when we do better. Yeah. And I, and I mean that. And I will, for the rest of my life, man, like people go a lifetime not knowing what they're called to do. I was called to do this work, man. Like I was called to do exactly what I'm doing right now. And that's educating and inspire people to end racial injustice. And I'm probably gonna go to my grave doing that, but, I want you to remember that I'm telling you this because I tell, I've never seen you before other than on this video. 
I love you, brother. And I mean that. And I mean that I'm saying that because if people could spread hate around this place, I could spread love. And the last words I heard my friend say out of his mouth was, man, I love everybody. And so I, I, I'll leave you with that. Well, John, thank you. And thank you for teaching and for inspiring and for uh, taking the time to talk with me today. Um, I think all of our listeners are excited to come see you um, at the Section Spring Conference. Um, and for those listening, Thursday, April 23rd, 9.30 at the Sheraton, um, come listen to John Thompson uh, talk about uh, his approach to law enforcement training and dispute resolution and diversity. Um, I think if you've been listening through this episode, you'll know that it's it's a great talk, definitely worth listening. And um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be there to meet you, John, um, in April. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Resolutions, and we hope to see you at the ABA section of Dispute Resolution Spring Conference, April 22nd to the 25th in New Orleans. Thanks again to sponsors like the American Arbitration Association, the Saltman Center for Conflict Resolution at UNLV William S. Boyd School of Law, and the Strauss Institute for Dispute Resolution at the Pepperdine University School of Law. You can find more info about the Spring Conference and our sponsors at the Dispute Resolution section page at AmericanBar.org. Thank you for listening. I'm Adam Martin.